0: Hey SSR fam, we're back for round two of New Reads November, our month-long celebration of young adult novels published in the last two years. If you're already missing our conversations about old school reads, don't stress. We'll be back in December with the throwbacks. In the meantime, though, I've got to say, these new titles are really fun. This week, we're digging into Nina LaCour's We Are Okay, which was published in 2017 and went on to win the coveted Prince Award in 2018. It's the story of Marin, a California transplant who's recently moved to the East Coast to start her freshman year of college. We find Marin depressed and lonely on the eve of winter break. She's arranged to stay on campus while the other students go home for the holidays, and she's preparing to welcome a friend named Mabel for a visit. Marin seems nervous to see Mabel. The nature of their relationship, and so many other things, unfolds over the course of the novel. We learn that Marin lost her mother at an early age, and that she grew up living with her Gramps. We learn that she and Gramps maintained a unique set of unspoken rules that created an unusual level of privacy in their otherwise loving home. We learn that Gramps has a mysterious pen pal named Birdie. Most sadly, we learn that Gramps has died recently, and though it takes most of the book to discover the circumstances surrounding his death, when we do discover them, it's pretty shocking. Today's guest is fellow book lover and podcaster Kiara Carita. Kiara has been a bookworm since she can remember. On one fateful day at LAX, her dad watched as she picked up a copy of Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets, and it set her on a lifelong path of loving books. Since then, she's devoured everything and anything, though thrillers are her absolute favorite. She recently raised her hand high in the air at the opportunity to co-host a podcast with Jade, a fellow book lover who she's never met in real life. When she's not reading or busy planning future episodes of the Books and Booze podcast, you can find Kiara at the park with her sons, basking in the Australian sunshine, or enjoying a new Netflix show binge with her husband. Books and Booze is a seriously awesome podcast for all you book lovers out there. Find it wherever you listen to your pods and follow along on Instagram at booksboozepod. You can follow host Jade at boho bookworm and Kiara, today's guest, at bookish.kiki. As always, these links will be available in the show notes for this week at www.ssrpodcast.com. Fun fact, if you listen closely, you're also going to hear Kiara's dog, Dougie, make a cameo on this episode. I know you won't be able to see him, but trust me when I tell you that he's really cute. Are you digging SSR? I'm so happy to hear it. Help me spread the word by sharing it with a friend and writing a quick review on iTunes. Those reviews help us in the podcast rankings, which, in turn, allows more people to find the show. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter and Instagram at SSR Pod, and to look us up on Facebook at The SSR Podcast. It's time for week two of New Reads November. Let's go to the show. Welcome to the SSR Podcast. You may recognize SSR as an elementary school era abbreviation for silent sustained reading, but if you don't, that's okay. What it stands for here is Shit She Read. Hi, Kiara. Thank you so much for joining us on SSR.
1: Hi, Allie. It's great to be here. I'm so excited. You have the very
0: unique distinction of being our very first international guest from outside of the United States. (laughs) That's exciting. Why don't you tell the listeners where you are chatting with me from? Because it took some coordination, at least on my end, trying to figure out the time difference that we're working with.
1: So I live in Sydney, Australia.
0: Which I'm thrilled about because I would really like to come to Australia someday. So now I have someone to visit once I get there. Yeah, you're
1: always welcome. We'll show you the sites.
0: Well, let's jump into our book talk. You selected We Are Okay as your New Reads November pick. And I think what's interesting when I send options to guests for this feature this new reads november feature is i mean you can google around a little bit to get a sense of what the reviews are you can find out what awards these books have won this book in particular won the prince award so it's it's extremely well known but i think for the guests that are coming on for november you're kind of just like hoping for the best and like picking a book of the four and hoping you enjoy it right like what spoke to you about this book (laughs) in particular and why did you choose it
1: so I did like have a check around. I have read some Nina LaCour before. Okay. Um. So I've read two of her books previously, Hold Still and Disenchantments. I don't read a lot of YA anymore. So that's why I kind of picked this one because I had read her before and I'm kind of aware of her writing style. Okay. I have not
0: read her before and now I feel like I have to go back and reread everything she's ever written or go back and read everything she's ever written for the first time because she's a kick-ass author.
1: Yeah, she's really good. The way she has with work.
0: It's fantastic. It has such a classic feel in the language and the construction of her story. It reminds me of so many of the middle grade and YA books that I read back when I was a young adult and a middle grade reader. And I think that just like lends itself to being a classic, and is probably a huge reason that it won the Prince Award for context. The Prince Award is given every year to the author of the single like most excellent contribution to young adult literature. So this book came out in 2017, and it was then awarded the Prince in 2018 as the best YA book of 2017. So that's kind of um, the context. The Hate You Give was a runner up, as well as a few others. But weirdly, I actually hadn't heard that much about this book. I heard about The Hate You Give a lot more. And I'm yeah. wondering if it's maybe just because I wasn't quite into the Bookstagram community last year, because knowing now that it's won these awards and has had all these distinctions, I feel like it must have been everywhere when it first came out
1: well I have been on bookstagram for a while and I actually never saw it either and I'm wondering if it's because I don't follow a lot of people that read YA anymore Hmm. because yeah but it definitely felt like an old YA book
0: I loved that about it there were a few mentions of like twitter and, and their phones the texting stuff and that all makes it very much more of it's time but if you take all of that out I think the book still kind of stands on it's own and could exist in pretty much every decade and I think kids at any time would love it
1: yeah which is good it's nice when things won't age really badly and you and I talked about this briefly
0: before we started recording but I will share it with the listeners as well a brief disclaimer here a large part of this book really the whole book centers around the death of the main character Marin's grandfather and I just want to mention before we start recording that my grandmother passed away about two and a half weeks ago Um, as many of my Instagram followers know And so reading this book was a very interesting experience emotionally. I'm not usually an emotional reader. Like I don't typically cry when I read books. It's very rare when that happens for me. And I I didn't cry reading this book. But I do think I was much more tuned in to certain elements of her story. And I was like marking things in the book that I related to more so than I normally would. Um, just because there are a lot of parallels in the experiences that I have had in, over the last few weeks and that Marin has in this book. So I just want to share that with listeners because I do think that that has perhaps colored the way that I read the book. Not in a good or bad way, but I do think it's worth mentioning.
1: Yeah. She, um, the way she writes and deals with grief and losses really, I think it would be quite cathartic. As soon as I picked it up, I think I picked it up the day I saw the post about your grandmother and I was like, oh no. (laughs) I felt horrible that I'd picked this one. I was like, oh gosh.
0: (laughs) Well, I was worried that you would feel horrible and you don't need to feel horrible. I wasn't reading the book in the thick of the experience. And like you said, it was actually kind of cathartic to read this story and I I think it's sometimes refreshing in my reading life anytime I'm going through something difficult or emotional I always find it refreshing to to find that somebody has been able to like crystallize my thoughts and my experiences into this beautiful story because even as somebody who writes and enjoys writing it's hard for me to do that sometimes about my own experiences about my own life so it's kind of refreshing to realize that somebody else can do that and I'm not a big journaler. Like, that's never really been my thing. So it's almost like reading about another person's story is the equivalent for me of what maybe, like, journaling would be for somebody else. It's, it's like, cathartic. There's a little bit of closure attached to it. And it's also just, like, comforting to know that there are all of these stories out there in the world, some fiction um, that tie into something that you've gone through yourself. So don't feel bad. I actually really enjoyed the book and I think it meant that much more to me because I've just gone through this kind of crazy time.
1: Yeah. Well, that's why books are such good therapy, I think, because you can kind of escape into another world and feel it yourself, but it's not happening to you.
0: Yeah, that's exactly right. And I loved Marin as a character. Let's start there. So what were your first impressions of Marin? The only reason I I feel confident in my pronunciation of her name is because, (laughs) right, I was like Marin Marin. But then I remembered last October, so exactly a year ago, my husband and I took a trip to San Francisco where this book is set. And we spent about half of our trip staying at an Airbnb in a much more like rural part of the Bay Area in Marin County. And when we first got there, I was calling it Marin to everybody. And eventually I realized that I'd been pronouncing it wrong. So I will never forget that the county in San Francisco is Marin County, which is why I feel very confident in pronouncing the main character here's name as Marin and what were your first impressions of Marin?
1: Well I think it's really funny that you said that because I i don't know if you know so I know you knew I lived in Phoenix but I also lived in San Francisco for a time very close to Marin County so when I saw it I was like oh I wonder if it is like the county. It's funny you said that yeah. but I really liked her. I thought she was a, a really good character like at the beginning you can kind of tell that something is going on and, and she is having a really hard time so she's just kind of gone to college and she has someone she like she keeps mentioning that someone's going to visit her and she's really scared about it and, but you don't know why and as she unravels more and more she's just such a great complex character she is and i want to point
0: out her age again and sort of talk about that briefly because this is a YA book and it's intended, you know, really for anybody I would say probably over the age of like 13, 14 ish. And this character is a freshman in college and I wasn't expecting that. The way that the scene was set up in those first few pages, I thought maybe she was at like some sort of a fancy boarding school for high schoolers. And I think part of that was just because I was in the mindset of like this being a book for teens. And it's been a while since I read a YA book that had been written for kids that was published under a children's imprint that was focusing on a character that was in college. And also, I just think the way that this setting is set up, like, it's hard to tell if it's sort of this, like, snooty Northeastern boarding school and I can say that because I'm from the northeast um <laughs> it was hard to say and it, it just felt like almost this very rigid environment that reminded me a lot of the friends that I have who did go to boarding schools like that growing up so I couldn't quite tell at first how
1: old she was no I agree it was um interesting that she is in college being a YA book because usually they do they set it in high school or middle school
0: yeah, and a lot of the flashbacks that we get later in the book go back to the summer before where she's still kind of telling that yeah. line between high school and college. Something else that I found interesting was again the setup for the college that she's at, which we find out later is located somewhere in New York State. Mm-hmm. It's so prim and proper and like, like I said, it feels sort of rigid. And I love the fact that we find out later that Marin is actually from this almost like Bohemian like surfer family. <laughs> and she was much more of a fish out of water than I. I realized in those first few chapters, like the place that she's chosen to go for college is so vastly different
1: from her home. Why do you think she chose to go so different to what she is?
0: That's a good question. And I think it's especially a good question given the fact that she must have decided to go to this particular college before all of the stuff went down with her grandfather yeah. like her grandfather died in August like weeks before she was scheduled to go to college so it's not as if she had this like roller coaster experience and decided that she needed to completely change her life and take off to the east coast and like entirely upend her life she seems to have made this decision months ago I think maybe there's a part of her that feels like she is so tied to her mom who is also gone long gone unfortunately she died in a surfing accident when Marin was very young and I wonder if there's a part of her that wants to like separate from that memory it's like she can't go to the beach without running into somebody who knew her mom and there's something comforting about that but I'm sure it gets old too like you don't always want these like creepy middle-aged surfer dudes giving you shells (laughs) and being like this looks like a shell your mom would like. So I wonder if that was part of it. I do wish that that had been explained a little bit more because that was clearly like a choice and although her grandfather was able to fund the first year of her college, it doesn't seem like her going to this sort of like fancy private school was like a natural choice for her or her family. So it seems like there must have been something there and I was just curious about that too. What do you think?
1: I agree with you. I think um, she was struggling to find her own identity where she lived in California and she wanted to distance herself from that but she was so close well she believed she was so close to her grandfather and he's kind of the only family she had left so for me moving clear across the the country it's just a big move. And we don't really know of any close
0: friends or other family members that live on the east coast. At one point Mabel who is her best friend and we find out kind of her former love interest as well is referring to these like random people they went to high school with who have also found their way to New York. And Marin is like, I'm not interested in hanging out with those people, which is something I think we all can relate to. Or it's like, <laughs> you're kind of grasping at straws, trying to find yeah. anybody you know, who's moved to wherever you live. And you realize like, I actually don't like any of these people. Um, <laughs> so I thought that was funny. But yeah, there's, it's not like she has a cool aunt that lives in New York. We don't even know if she's ever been to New York before.
1: Yeah. It's an, it's an interesting move because like from your senior year to college, you do change so much, but it would be so scary, I think, especially to New York, because it's such a big city. And where she was in California, I'm imagining it was quite a small town. It did seem Like, it seem had that, that small town feel. Yeah, it was like a beach town.
0: She, like, knew her way around. She knew everyone. Everybody knew her. Everybody knew who her mom was. Everybody knew who her grandfather was. And I agree. But I do think it speaks to her character. Like, she is really actually very brave. And maybe that's what the author was trying to show, because so much of this book is about her kind of being at her like lowest point emotionally and not being able to show off the full range of her strength and all of her gumption and it's almost like we have this little factoid in the back of our brain that like when she was at her best, when she was at her emotional highest, she made this really brave choice and she was ready to take on the world and she was comfortable and confident enough in herself to like take this risk and move across the country by herself. So maybe, maybe that's what we're supposed to take from it. I'm not sure.
1: It's pretty badass. <laughs>
0: I mean, I couldn't do it. I went like four hours away for college and at that time I thought that I was a badass for doing that.
1: Well, um, cause I finished my senior year in Arizona and then pretty much straight after that we moved back to Australia. It's such a big move. And uh, like most of my growing up was in the United States. So like to go back to Australia where I like I didn't know anyone because I hadn't really done any schooling in Australia. It's very scary. It's very daunting. And I don't have any of the added baggage that she had where like, you know, her grandfather had passed away and she was on the outers kind of with Mabel and all that sort of stuff. So I can't imagine how she did it. I can't imagine how she held her head above water.
0: And she does it in, like, an even ballsier way than you would expect. Like, she goes through this very traumatic situation, which we'll talk about, I'm sure, with her grandfather dying. She goes to the police station. She essentially, like, sneaks out the back door of the police station and is like, I can't deal with any of this. I don't want to see my friend's parents. I don't want anybody to take care of me. I'm just going to leave. And she goes to the airport two weeks before she was supposed to leave and tells the guy at the desk, like, I need to go to New York early. Two weeks early, to be exact. And she just, like, takes off. She gets herself a motel. She is eating at a diner three meals a day. It's kind of a scary situation. The motel is pretty seedy, and there's, like, a woman howling next door and creepy dudes kind of lurking around. She's completely emotionally broken down. She has no idea really what her financial situation is like. Like there's just a lot of questions. And so if she was going to make an already scary move even scarier, she certainly succeeded at doing that.
1: Yeah, because I'm sure when she imagined going to New York for college, she imagined her grandfather kind of being with her to help her, and she just did it on her own.
0: She did. I think I want to set the scene a bit more with the grandfather because he is, like, the heartbeat of this book in all of its highs and lows. And there's a quote that I wanted to read that is actually later in the book. It's sort of more of a reflective moment for Marin. So it's not in real time, but I wanted to share it because I think it should give the listeners a sense of, like, what her— life actually was like. Tell me about a girl who lives in a house with her grandfather, about a house that's full of easy love, about a house that isn't haunted, hands covered in cake flour and air that smells sweet. Tell me about the way the girl and her grandfather did each other's laundry and left it folded in the living room, not because there were secrets, but because that's just the way they were, simple and easy and true. And in that passage, there's obviously some notes of like the darkness that's to come, but I think generally it describes the way her life was like. They sort of had things under control. Her mother died when I think she was three, and so she'd been living with her grandfather full time since then, and they sort of were in a rhythm with each other, and it was pretty sweet to read about at the beginning.
1: Yeah, I, I loved that because my grandfather was one of my favorite people in the whole wide world, and like it, like you have that easy relationship kind of with your grandparents, it's a different type of relationship. And living with your grandfather would be such an interesting kind of thing because it would be so different to living with your parents.
0: And I did live with my grandmother, the grandmother that we just lost a few weeks ago. Mm-hmm. My mom and I lived with her for most of my middle school years and all of my high school years, so okay. that was another oh. way that I kind of related in a positive way. Please don't yeah. feel bad, um, <laughs> really. Fine. It kind kind of brought back some of the memories of like the special parts of our relationship that I think most kids don't get with their grandparents. It certainly created some like tension and and like weird vibes that kids don't get with their grandparents normally. But um, the benefits definitely outweigh the challenges I would say and I think my relationship with my grandmother was so much richer because of those years. Something that was really interesting was that Marin and her grandfather kind of had these unspoken rules in their house right so there's this one scene where the girls at school are talking about real estate which is sort of funny anyway like they're talking about (laughs) who lives where and like if they're going to move to a different neighborhood and that was sort of a stretch for me. And
1: if there's no if there's no Watch a closet, um then it's not a bedroom. and
0: <laughs> yeah, and I thought that was funny. I think the author was able to explain it away by saying that one of the girl's moms was a real estate agent or something. Yeah. so that made sense, but anyway, that was kind of hilarious. Um it comes out that Marin doesn't even know how many bedrooms there are in her house because, She lives in a bedroom on one side of the house, and her grandfather kind of has his domain on the other side of the house, and in between there's all this common space. So she's not really sure if there are two bedrooms or three bedrooms on the opposite end of the house because she knows that he has a room that he sleeps in and a study. And she's like, there might be another room, but I'm not sure. So, you know, I think before that, I think we get a glimpse of the fact that they sort of have these rules about privacy, But over the course of that conversation about her not really knowing the layout of her own house, it struck me how strange that was. It didn't feel weird until that point, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I I was trying to put myself in that situation and I (laughs) I'm so nosy by nature that I don't think I could stay out of that space. I don't know how she did
0: it. It was a big chunk of the house too. Like we find out later when she does go in there, it's a lot of,
1: a lot of square footage. Yeah. And even like, if you think like, oh, I just need to run into his bedroom and pick up something or like, like you would do that naturally in your parents' bedroom. I'm sure you'd go, oh, I need to get like, grab, I don't know, a a book or something.
0: For the most part, most people have that sort of comfort with their families. I was thinking about the fact, like, I do think that in my family, there are some maybe unspoken rules particularly between, like, my sisters and I and, and, like, maybe my dad. Like, I don't know. I just think there's something to the point of, like, there are certain, like... And this is a whole other conversation. But, like, as, like, as the girl in the family, like, you would never go into, like, your certain... Of your dad's spaces like I don't need to be like in my dad's closet for example
1: yeah or top top drawer
0: (laughs) right exactly and not for any reason that's inappropriate but just because it's like that's his space and he never told us that and that was never an issue but I don't know that I ever would have thought as a kid to like venture into those spaces or to like ask to go into his wallet for example or Mm. I don't know I, I just think there's something about that separation where as a little girl you idolize certain male family members so much that you're like I get the feeling that these are spaces of their lives that they're protecting and that aren't necessarily wide open to me and that's okay and I'm not going to ask questions about that. Also because you You just trust those people so much. As a little girl, my dad walked on water to me and he's still one of my Mm. heroes. And I'm like, I don't need to be in all of your spaces. Like we have a loving, great relationship. And so there's sort of these unspoken rules. By the same token, like I'm sure there are parts of my bedroom growing up that he mostly like would have respected as as long as I wasn't getting in trouble or anything. Like (laughs) I just think those spaces are sometimes sacred within families, maybe depending on everybody's personality so I did understand that a little bit but this was obviously an extreme situation and that there was a full half of her house that she had never been in which just raises the stakes at the end of the book when she goes in there which I don't know that I'm ready to talk about yet but we'll get there
1: yeah <laughs> so
0: something else interesting about Gramps is that he apparently has this sort of love interest named Birdie <laughs> And uh, I think Chiara's laughs are sort of the indication of what's to come. And I sort of feel the same way. Um, But Bertie is this woman that he seems to be writing letters to constantly. Like there's always letters coming in. She's mailing him things. And it's like very endearing. It made me really like Gramps a lot.
1: And he's always sitting in his half of the house writing letters to Bertie. And you're so interested as to why they haven't met up. She's sending him dresses and stuff like that. And you're kind of like, oh. Okay, well, it's very serious then. Why haven't they met? Who is she? Where did they meet?
0: And Marin seems to have a gut feeling that maybe she's younger than he is because Mm -hmm. he's getting these dresses that look like they're for maybe a younger woman. I was also thinking, like, Gramps was potentially more of, like, a young grandfather because Marin's mom was really young. I think she was about, like, 20 when Marin was born, which is relatively young. So if— Marin's grandfather was also like on the younger side or even average when the mother was born he was probably like as grandfathers go like fairly sprightly so um, you know he certainly could have had like a fiery love life if he'd wanted to (laughs)
1: <laughs> Why not? Well, yeah, age doesn't matter, really. Um, yeah, and he was yeah. like an interesting
0: guy. He was he was cool. He had I feel like he had a lot of interesting wisdom to offer. I loved the conversation about the coffee from the first few chapters. Do you remember that?
1: <laughs> yeah, I do. He was like, if you spent like you shouldn't have to spend a certain amount, on, like more than this on coffee.
0: Yeah, Marin and Mabel come home and they have four dollar cups of coffee. And they bought it at a cafe called Trouble Coffee and Gramps goes into this whole lecture about how like he and Mabel's parents pay so much money for the girls to go to like an upstanding Catholic school and then they choose to go buy their coffee at a place called Trouble and not only that but they spend like way too much money on it and that's such a grandparent thing. I loved that. I thought that was so well done. (laughs)
1: He, like, he loved baking, and he's always baking for the girls. And it just, it made it feel like just such a beautiful home that he was trying to, like, foster for Marin. Yeah, and he
0: has these friends that come over. It's sort of like an unconventional family that he's built for her, but it did feel like these, like old guys that he invited over for poker once a week, like were her extended family. She was excited to see them. She joked around with them as if they were her uncles. And again, like this isn't necessarily a quote unquote normal family. That's a difficult word to use and one that I don't like to use, but it's not a family that looks like everyone else's. But she's happy. And like you said, I think he's done everything he can to create warmth around her. That being said, he really does not want to talk to her about her mother. And that becomes really painful for her.
1: It does go to show you that family is what you make it. But um, yeah, touching on the fact that um, he doesn't want to talk about his daughter. You can you can understand it, but you can understand why Marin needs it. She needs she was only three. Like and she has no real stories of her mother and no photos of when she was a baby and you know, her father they mention briefly in the book he was a surfer and then he i don't think knew about her existence and he took off to Australia where yeah. he was from and um it would be it would be so hard for her because she only has her grandfather and that's the only tie she has to her mum and like you you want that knowledge you want to know about your your mum and
0: it's almost like there's a lot of love between her and gramps but there's not any emotional intimacy and I think mm-hmm. that that's probably something that she's missing. And there's there's a big difference. Like, you can have all the love in the world and you can be well taken care of. But if you don't have somebody who you feel safe and comfortable with, like, not even comfortable enough to, like, go into their bedroom if you're having a bad dream as a kid or something. Like, yeah. that's definitely a hole for her. And that must have been very hard growing up. She doesn't really seem to have any female figures in her life at all which I thought was interesting we find out later that she's pretty close to Mabel's mom Anna but even that like that's not the same as like a family member who you can count on to be at your house often like she definitely is looking for those kind of role models and she's never really even seen like a good photo of her with her mother which is
1: so sad and it does it shows you the difference between a grandparents love and a parent's love I think because he, he kind of, he lets her come and go as she wants, and he's not super strict on her at all, And but he doesn't share a lot with her. Like, he's there. He cares. You know that he loves her so much, but she craves that little bit more.
0: I think also, like, the difference between maybe a grandmother and a grandfather It's sort of like the double whammy of like a little extra distance, right? Because she doesn't have a parent and she also doesn't have a grandmother who stereotypically at least would potentially be a little bit warmer, like a little bit more. Exactly, all of those things. Like she has a grandfather Mm -hmm. who is definitely like an independent kind of guy. He does what he wants. And so the author has kind of like designed this situation where she has like, I mean, he's an awesome grandfather, it seems. He's done so much for her and he seems cool and interesting and loving but it's he's still like a few steps emotionally removed and and it's not enough and it's weird because at the beginning of the book for me it felt like maybe it was I was like she seems happy maybe this has worked out for her but by the end I was like It definitely wasn't enough. I mean, even by halfway through, I was questioning if she really had what she needed.
1: Mm -hmm. And I think that he comes from a time when men were probably more hands off than they are now. Yeah. So maybe when he was raising Marin's mom, he wasn't as hands on with her. And so that's kind of what he's done with Marin. What are we saying? He's probably about 50. Well,
0: let's see. So her mom's 20 when she was when Marin was born. Mm-hmm. So that would mean that had she been alive, she would be 38. So let's say that Gramps was the same age when when Marin's mom was born. So he's maybe like mid-50s, early 60s. Yeah.
1: yeah. And if you think about how much like landscape has changed and gender has kind of changed since 50 years ago, then yeah, he probably wouldn't have been his hands-on. So imagine you're by yourself and all of a sudden you have a three-year-old, your granddaughter, you wouldn't know what to do. You wouldn't know how to raise that child. And he did the best he could for as long as he could.
0: Yeah, I wanted to learn more about her grandmother because he was definitely heartbroken on top of like his daughter being gone so young. It sounded like his wife also died very young. And again, I mean, she packed so much story and like so much emotion into this book that I'm not sure we could have handled anymore. But I wish we had like a small window into what kind of a person his wife had been because I think it might have helped explain like maybe where the switch in his brain flipped to lead him where he ended up at the end of the book
1: because that in itself is such a tragic life you know your your wife passed away quite young and then your daughter passes away very young I can't imagine it's, you can't really blame
0: him for no, yeah. sort of having to like uh, hide think yeah. I mean, I think a lot of the things that end up being revealed to Marin about his true nature, he's sort of like hiding from the world and, and like hiding himself away. So like, let's talk about that because I've been hinting at it and I think we just need to share with the listeners what's actually going on with Gramps and what the circumstances around his death really are. Let's see if I can make this long story very short. Gramps drowns. But after he drowns, Marin finds out all of these other things about him because she's looking around their house for him. She can't find him anywhere. She's calling his name. She's calling his name. And in the end, she does have to go into his office, which is very upsetting because she feels, first of all, like she's kind of breaching this code that they developed over all these years. Like I can imagine if you have been respecting somebody's privacy for 15 years, the feeling of like stepping over that line must be extremely uncomfortable. So that's traumatic in itself. traumatic. Not being able to find him anywhere is traumatic. Knowing that he's sick because she's been seeing bloody handkerchiefs in the laundry all summer, so she kind of has an inkling that there's something wrong with him. Another trauma. She walks into his office, and it's, like, covered with boxes of letters, which we find out are letters both to and from Bertie. Graham's has been writing the letters from himself and from Bertie, which sounds crazy, but that's what's going on. He's writing all the letters, not ever sending any of them. And Bertie is actually Claire, Marin's mom. So over the years, he's been sending quote unquote letters to Marin's mother, like sharing stories about their life together. And then he's also been writing responses to himself from Marin's mother. And then he's essentially been hoarding all of these letters. He's created like a shrine, there's photos of her everywhere tucked into this corner of their house. Marin's never seen any of them. Is there more? Like, I feel like there's, he basically just is hiding this whole life and he's hiding secrets about his health as well. So we find out he's hiding pieces of his mental health from her because clearly he's struggling with grief and like not processing that in a healthy way. He's lying about who these letters are going to. Birdie is not a love interest. It's his daughter, his late daughter, and he's also hiding parts of his physical health. He has lung cancer. He's a rabid smoker, constantly smoking cigarettes, and so it's really a matter of time before his lungs give out on him, but he's not being clear with Marin about that. So she really discovers all of this at once, and her response, rightfully so, was like, I don't know him at all. He isn't the man that I thought he was. He's been keeping these secrets from me. He hasn't told me anything about my mother. He's been handling his grief in a way that was so unfair to me. He's a stranger, and now he's dead, and I don't know if I should be mourning him or if I should be angry with him. Do you think that captures it? It's, like, so much to try to distill. Yeah.
1: Yeah. It's like he held on, and he held it together for as long as possible, hiding so much from her. But, like, there was even stuff, like he thought his friends were poisoning his whiskey and there was so much going on in his head like and it, it's not a big book no it's <laughs> like, short not a there's like it's. I think it's just about 200 pages and so much is packed into it he did he really held it together as long as possible for his granddaughter and then when it was too much he kind of just walked into the ocean I think he knew
0: he was dying and that was part of it I think he wanted to preserve some pride it sounds like he had had yep. a really bad experience in the hospital like a decade prior there's this mention of the fact that Marin had to go live with Gramps' friend for a few weeks and it sounds like that was because Gramps was in the hospital because of his cancer and I believe his friend's quote was like it nearly killed him to be in the hospital so we didn't want to do that again so my feeling was like maybe he sensed that his cancer was getting worse and he like didn't want to risk Marin worrying enough to send him back into the hospital and so he was like I'm just gonna take this situation into my own hands and walk into the ocean and that's obviously like aggravated by the fact that he was really struggling mentally and probably extremely overwhelmed like with everything he had going on in his head i'm sure it felt like the world was closing in on him and like you said he tried to hold it together for so long and he just couldn't anymore
1: and um it's sort of poetic how he does it and he walks into the ocean that took away his his child as well. So it kind of comes full
0: circle. The ocean is an interesting presence throughout the book and it plays a big role in the the jacket of the book as well. I'll post a photo of it um, as part of the show notes and on my Instagram for SSR as well so you can see it but it's kind of this very like painterly image of the ocean and Marin like looking out over it. It's really like the being that has taken away so much of what she loves. I mean even her father if you think about it like she doesn't know her father but all that we know about him is that he's a surfer and so he's kind of been taken by the ocean as well,
1: in a way. I liked how they kind of talked about um, the surfers' funerals Mm. and what they do because, like, obviously, being in Australia, a lot of people surf here, and so we see that quite often on the news. They, like, paddle out into the middle of the ocean and they form a circle of all their friends and family and stuff like that. It shows you how beautiful the ocean is and how important it is.
0: And there's such a community around it too. I mean, even the fact that all these years later – Marin's mom's friends are still kind of looking out for Marin. It's a little creepy sometimes like there's a man that tries to come on to her and is like I got my van out back you're Claire's daughter like let's go Um, but other than that guy um, it seems like people have really rallied around her and again then you know people have seen Gramps go into the water like there's this awareness of the ocean's power. People are aware of the community's like comings and goings with respect to the ocean and I think that's really interesting and something you know, this setting really allows for that kind of a presence of like, the environment really
1: and it's interesting like that she moved to New York so far away from the ocean
0: Mm, that's true that's a really good point
1: so she moved into the middle of a city really a big city she wanted something totally
0: different than what she had and again like that decision came prior to all of this happening with Gramps but obviously she was just ready for a change and so I can't even imagine how much more she wanted that change having gone through this (laughs) trauma
1: yeah I know every time you would look at it you would just think of your mom and then your grandfather as well
0: there's another passage that I pulled out that I think really beautifully illustrates sort of the, the positives and the negatives of Marin's relationship with Gramps as she reflects on them. I was given cakes and cookies and rides to school. I was given songs and dinners at a table with brass candlesticks. I was given a man with a sensitive heart and a devious sense of humor and enough skill at cards to win me a year of private college. Tuition and room and board. And I took all of those good things and told myself they made us special. Told myself they meant we were a family the way Mabel and Anna and Javier were. Told myself that we weren't missing anything. We were masters of collusion, Gramps and I. In that, at least we were together. Mm -hmm. So beautifully written, first of all, and so heartbreaking. Yeah.
1: Yeah.
0: And I would say from my own personal experience, what I've been through over the last few weeks is certainly in no way similar (laughs) in certain respects to Marin's grief he has a lot of other things going on and and she's discovered a lot of really upsetting scarring things about him and she's discovered that he's basically like a totally different person than she thought that he was but I did relate to that passage and I think a lot of people can I think the interesting thing about losing a loved one and and grief in general is that you realize that the person that you're grieving is complicated. Like nobody's perfect and so I think like the instinct of course when somebody dies is you think about all of the good things and all of the wonderful memories you have with them and certainly as a child living with a grandparent you think about all the ways that they took care of you and similarly like my grandmother drove me to school and made my birthday cakes and she was the one who was home with me having an afternoon snack every day when I got home from school so like I remember all of those things. And certainly she like did not scam me in the way that Marin's grandfather did. But I think like the next stage of grief is then you begin to like think about some of the things that were maybe like more challenging about that person that you lost. and and that's difficult. And you start to hear stories that maybe you aren't as fond of, and maybe you remember arguments or like differences of opinion. It just speaks to the fact that humans are very complicated. Grief is very complicated. And I think what's interesting too about Marin's journey is like, She sort of went through grief in the opposite direction. The first thing that she was aware of was all of the ways that he'd fucked up her life, all of the things that he'd lied about, all of the terrible things that he'd really put her through in terms of, like, forcing her to shove her grief about her mother under the carpet. And then she gets the good stuff. But, like, the good stuff becomes an afterthought to the bad stuff, and I think that's what differentiates this experience for her from, like, what a lot of people go through when they lose a loved one.
1: No, you're exactly right, because it was so confronting to her to know that everything he's kind of told her was a lie, and, you know, like, I couldn't imagine finding out that my grandfather was writing these letters, and I thought he was writing these letters to a woman that he was in love with, but he was actually writing letters to my mom, who he never talked about, and that was his way of dealing, obviously, with the loss, but he hid so much of himself from her when she needed that herself.
0: Yeah. And he told her that he didn't have any photos of her and like told a lot of lies about sort of like the resources that he could provide Marin as part of working through her grief. And she finds out that all of that was BS too. Like he could have helped her more than he did. And I think 15 years of not knowing your mother, must feel extremely painful, and so there's a part of her that I'm sure was immediately resentful about that piece of things. Did her reaction surprise you at all, like the immediate sort of escape from the police station? Like did did everything that happened next make sense to you, the fact that she then shut down from her friends, like wasn't responding to texts, did it all feel very real to you?
1: I think it was a good portrayal of how isolating depression can be. Mm. Because it's definitely what she's in in the beginning of the book. She's She doesn't want to go out. She doesn't want to do anything. She doesn't want to see people. She just kind of, like, at the beginning of the book, Mabel is coming to visit her, and we can talk more because Mabel's family is just fantastic. Um <laughs> She's looking around, and she's looking at her roommate's side of the room, and it's got pictures and quotes and all this sort of stuff, and she panics, and she realizes that Mabel's going to see probably how lost she really has become this year by herself and how isolated she is and so she goes and she kind of tries to make like a collage on a bulletin board um and then she's looking at it and she's like all the paper looks the same like it just looks so fake because it is obviously I think she like Nina LaCour has done a great job in showing you how hard it is when you are in the throes of depression and how hard you want to go on and move on but you can't you're stuck That
0: was such a good example of like showing and not telling as an author because I think like so many people remember having bulletin boards when they were in high school and college and like what that's a symbol of. So this whole description of the process of like trying to fake the bulletin board is such, I don't know, it's such an affecting way to demonstrate Marin's headspace and what she was going through without just being like Marin was depressed which she clearly was And I think if we're talking about elements of YA that we didn't see in kinds of throwback books that we typically read for the podcast this emphasis on mental health and on depression like that's a huge piece of this book that we would not have gotten in a book 30 which 20, is, maybe even 10 years ago I don't know
1: yeah which is a good sign of the times and how we are um, trying to end the stigma on mental health because it's it's not a weakness no, this so is, many people go through it.
0: Yeah, and Marin's going through it. Her grandfather was obviously going through it. This isn't just, like, a single character, and I, I appreciated that. Like, it was the fact that, like, this is something that many people experience in different forms, and people work through it differently. And I liked that it just wasn't about, like, one character, like, spotlight on their mental health, it was, it was sort of told in terms of this greater story, and I think that that was really refreshing as well. Another very 2018 new reads element of this book is the fact that there is a queer love story involved, and yeah. I mention that because in my research about Nina Lecur, I found out that her other books, and again, I haven't read them, they all have some element of a queer love story, and that's something that's important to her. She lives with her wife and her daughter in the Bay Area. I found an interview with her where she's talking about her writing and the way that she's opened up these love stories for teens in her books, and she says, I felt that I'd written the happy lesbian love stories that I wanted to give to young readers and could set aside that responsibility for a while. I didn't know that there could be any romance in We Are Okay, but as I made my initial notes, I realized there's a degree of longing and awkwardness between Marin and Mabel that felt romantically loaded and since a major part of the novel is about them finding out who they are to each other after the passage of time and the change in their circumstances I was compelled to explore the complexities of each girl's identity so there is sort of this lingering sexual tension between the two of them they're not actively in a relationship in real time in the book but there are these like beautiful flashbacks of this summer romance that they had their best friendship blossomed into something more and it meant a lot to both of them I think Marin in particular
1: I like those flashbacks because it kind of does remind you of that last summer you know between high school so good. And, so and college good. where yeah isn't it like you're just so like it's such a fun time because you're so free and you know you've finished all your final exams and you just you don't have any responsibilities you're just waiting out the summer and like the nights are long and, you know, you can sleep all day and there's music and it, it's such a nice time in your life. Yeah. And you do like, you just feel like you can do anything. But I liked how she wrote the story of Marin and Mabel because It wasn't the important thing. It was just there. I think that um, once upon a time, people would make a really big deal about a a lesbian relationship. But it's just – it's normal and it's nice.
0: Yeah. Marin wasn't spending a lot of time thinking about like, oh – I was hooking up with a girl all summer. I was hooking up with my best friend all summer. It wasn't this topic of conversation. She wasn't questioning her sexuality. It wasn't yeah. It wasn't adding to her stress. It wasn't an additional factor in sort of like her emotional turmoil. This is who it was she... was just normal. Yeah, she was in love with Mabel for the summer. And that was great. And and sort of by the same token, Mabel was in love with Marin for the summer. And she's gone to college. And now she has a boyfriend yeah. who she cares about very much. And there's not a conversation about that. There's no need to define it. There's no conversation about body. Bisexuality. There's no need to put anybody in a box. And that is such a breath of fresh air in the worlds of Kidlet, And something that I would imagine has only happened in the last, like maybe two or three years. Yeah, a hundred percent. So Mabel comes to visit Marin, not in any way to like reignite their love, but because she's on a mission from her parents, really her parents want her to invite Marin to live with them when she's not at school. And she really like does not want to
1: take no for an answer. She's going to check on her friend. She's not worrying about the love aspect of it because like you said, she's she's in a, a relationship with a guy and she's very happy and but she's worried about her friend. She misses her friend and her parents are beautiful. Oh. They are such beautiful people. <laughs> I'm obsessed with
0: her parents like <laughs> potentially my new favorite literary parents, Anna and
1: Javier. <laughs> you rock you are the bar they just pick up their whole life and because they say to her invite Marin home for christmas we want to spend christmas with her we don't want her to be alone because obviously Marin has nowhere to go and so she's organized with the school to stay by herself at the school over winter and it's freezing and it's snowing and the janitor is keeping an eye out for her And it's such a, it's a sad, strange situation.
0: And it's Christmas. And Christmas was, we learned like this very special time for her and Gramps. And Gramps like lost his mind over Christmas trees. And they had all these great traditions. So as if things aren't terrible enough, she's like now smack in the middle of a season that really used to make them quite happy.
1: Yeah. Christmas is so important for families. like the holiday time is so important for families. That's when you are around your loved ones. And that's probably when you feel lost the most.
0: Right, and she, I think, thought that
1: she was doing the right thing
0: by staying put. Like, I think at 18 years old, your mindset is like, okay, this is a problem that I've had to deal with. I am now on my own. This is the reality. I'm going to take a lot of pride in reestablishing myself, reestablishing my life, making my own routines, and I don't need anybody else. I think there's a temptation at that age, especially when you're like newly at college, to sort of like go so far on the independence scale. Like, I don't need yeah. anybody but me. This is
1: me now. Yeah, I'm, I'm here. Myself. Like,
0: I can have Do Christmas it. in my dorm. Who cares?
1: And she, like, bought all this food to, to make Mabel think that she kind of had it together.
0: And, and Mabel definitely kind of knows that something's up. She doesn't know the whole story about Gramps. She obviously knows that he is gone. She knows that he's drowned. But this whole backstory about birding being Marin's mother and sort of the hoarding tendencies and his cancer like she didn't know about any of that so it takes most of the book for Marin to open up about that and I think the cool thing too is like the real-time action outside of the flashbacks in this book take place it takes place over a course of like two or three days which is neat too I, I think the pacing was really great.
1: Yeah, I I read it, um, like, I didn't rush through the book. I read it quite slowly to try and experience it and take it all in. Because it is, it's a heavy book. It is. It's very heavy. That family is just beautiful. Like, she needed someone like that. Yeah. They love her like they love their own
0: daughter. They do. She decides that she is not going to go home with Mabel. She says it time and time again. Mabel's begging her right up until the minute that they go to the airport. And Marin goes home to her dorm and is like settling back into things and Mabel and her parents show up ready to celebrate the holidays with her at the dorm. They bring, like, a boxed Christmas tree. They bring all the ingredients to make a meal. And there's no guilt, which I so appreciate because I think that never happens in life. Like, how often in life do people just do things like that for others with zero expectations of having something done for them in return? There's no jokes made about it. Like, there's no snide comments about how long the trip was. Like, they're just there and ready to celebrate and support her. And she has this very beautiful scene At the end, with Mabel's mother, Anna, who says, You are still you, and I still want to be your mother. You are alone for longer than you realized. He did the best he could. I am certain of that. He loved you. He meaning Gramps, of course. There is no question. But since that night when you called Javier and me for help, we have been waiting for a time to tell you that we want you in our family. We would have told you that morning, but you weren't ready. And she, I think, even said before that that, like, she sort of felt this pull to be... Marin's mother years before any of this had even happened.
1: Yeah. I think it was, she said it's when um, Mabel kind of first brought Marin over and she could feel that she needed a mother. I want to know Anna's
0: backstory because Mm -hmm. I feel like there's definitely something in her history that maybe like Mm -hmm has pulled her to Marin. And it, that's, this is why in some ways it's so hard to break down these books the way that, that I do on this podcast. And I wonder if you have the same experience on your podcast. Like, sometimes it's so hard to dive into the details of these books so intensely because I'm like, I need more explanations. I need more information. Where are we going <laughs> to get, like, the companion novel? And And sometimes when I have book talk with people in my, like, real life outside the podcast— I have readers that I know who are like, no, this is just how the book is. Like, you don't have to worry about that. But I find myself just wanting to know more. Do you feel that way? Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. It's funny you mentioned that because um, I did a buddy read of a book with a couple of girls and we were talking about like, we need to know more. There should be a prequel. We need to know more about this backstory or yeah. like, yeah, because like, I just feel like stories are not in, en- like ugh, I don't want stories to end sometimes. And this is one of them. Like she does such a good job with all these characters that like, y- you just want to know more. You find yourself craving, like even grandpa's backstory with um, Marin's grandmother. What happened there? Tell us more. And
0: I just, I feel like authors rarely do things by accident. And I think even if, Sort of a supporting character's full history isn't written into a story. I think authors think about those things. So maybe she doesn't know everything that happened to Mabel's mom, but I think she maybe has thought about the fact that, like, maybe she went through something similar. I think there's something there, and Nina LeCur doesn't necessarily seem like a series or like a sequel writer, but I would not hate. A companion novel or a prequel or something like that because there's just so much to this story and like you said it's a pretty short book I just think we need a little bit more info I
1: haven't read a book this short in such a long time that it was kind of nice
0: it's nice welcome back to the world of YA it can be very refreshing <laughs> to breeze through some of yeah. these books although this was definitely not a breeze through no it was tough because of my crazy recording schedule I had to read it in an afternoon and it was like a lot but mm-hmm. I also enjoy like I really felt like I got lost in the world now that I've been to San Francisco I love books that are written with San Francisco as the setting I think it's such a beautiful place to set a book and that's like one of my new favorite settings to read about so I enjoyed that and um I just enjoyed this book I I'm all for the Prince Award going to We Are Okay. I think it was amazing. I think there's so many important issues covered in this book, like we said, from grief to mental health to queer relationships. Like, there's just so much here that it just wouldn't have happened a few years ago. What do you think is maybe, like, the best most like modern part of this book if we're looking at it from a new reads november perspective what do you think is sort of the most important piece of it that would not have existed if it were actually a
1: throwback book i don't think that they would have really touched on mental health at all especially Mm. mental health in young adults yeah because i'm trying to think back to any of the books that i read in in high school and the only one i can kind of think that would come close is um sloppy first love sloppy first
0: also yeah. in case anybody's hearing any weird noises i will just say because i can tell kiara field this is her dog right he is i'm looking at him he is rolling around outside of your sliding glass door it's really funny. I wouldn't normally comment on something like this, but just in case you hear it on the audio, I just have to mention he's super cute and really funny.
1: Yeah, he's an Australian bulldog, and he is just he does this all the time. He just rolls around. Like, he's really. He like, like, sounds like a
0: cow. Yeah, he's <laughs> he's lightening the mood though, which I appreciate as we come to the end of this conversation. He's like we've had enough heavy talk here, people. Like
1: yeah, yeah,
0: he's some comedic relief. He's really cute. Anyway, I hope you're glad that you chose this book. Do you feel like it was a good experience to, especially since you don't read a lot of YA, like, do you feel like it was a good experience to
1: try this one? Yeah, I really, really enjoyed it. Enjoy is the wrong word, maybe, because it's such a heavy topic, but I thought it was a great book. I loved getting back into Nina Lacour's writing style because I have read some of her books before. Enjoy is probably the wrong choice of words for this book because it is so heavy and it just feels so heavy to read, but... She handled it in such a beautiful way. And at the end, you know that Marin is going to be taken care of. And she is going to be okay.
0: And that's like the recurring theme throughout the book. There are a few points where people are asking her, are you okay? I want you to be okay. Are you okay now? And then she has this beautiful moment with Mabel where they kind of make up and, and she's like, we are okay now. And then at the end of the book, you get this feeling that she is going to be okay. And so the title is very fitting. I, I actually hadn't read anything um, in terms of like a synopsis or a summary of the book before I read it. I just was jumping in. And so just looking at the title, I really had no idea what it pointed to in terms of the plot. And it's such a perfect title for this book. I love it. It's so simple and straightforward. And it just like encompasses what this book is really, About which is that, like, ultimately, what we all want is to just be okay. It's not always happy, it's not always sunshine and butterflies. Life doesn't always feel exhilarating and fun. It's not always enjoyable. But this desire to be okay with ourselves and with the people around us and and sort of like with our basic needs, that's something that everybody can strive for. And like most of the time we are okay and we can get there with the right people around us and sort of like with the family we choose, which I think is also a very important element of this book. Like she creates a family first with Gramps. He's built this family around her with his friends and she creates a family on her own later with Mabel's parents, that feels right and okay for her and it's very beautiful i love the ending it really was tied up with a nice bow but it didn't feel it didn't feel Rush. tacky it didn't feel rushed yeah. it didn't feel hokey like it all made sense to me so i i appreciated the ending very much yeah me too With that extremely heavy but extremely important conversation behind us, I'm dying to know, book podcaster and voracious reader that you are, (laughs) what kinds of recommendations you have for the SSR listeners. What are you reading now? What have you read recently that you would like to recommend to them? I know you probably have some good ones up your sleeve.
1: (laughs) Can I do two? Oh, of course. Okay. So one I wanted to do is an Australian one because that is like a big theme on our podcast is trying to get, you know, Australian authors more well-known. I love that. So... We read a book on our podcast. It was called Scrublands by Chris Hammer. Okay. Um, and we actually got to interview him on the podcast, and that was fantastic. It was a debut novel. It's um about this small bush town in Australia, and um, the beginning of the book starts with a priest, and it's Sunday, and he goes back into the church and then he comes out with um, a gun and he guns down some of his parishioners. But it's very um, pointed by who he picks. Hmm. Um, and then the whole story is just this journalist unraveling the why behind it. That's sounds so, you know, so interesting. He's done it. You know. You know he's done it. You know who's done it, but you don't know why. Oh, that sounds really good. I don't
0: often read thrillers or like mysteries, but that sounds like sort of the like journalist element. I think that I could really get into that. That sounds
1: cool. Yeah. That one, um, it's fantastic. It's one of the best books I think I've read this year. Wow. He did such a good job and it's nice because it does a really good um, job on describing kind of the harsh Australian landscape because so much of Australia is very dry. Mm. and very arid and it it does a good job about showing how devastating drought can be to our country well I'm definitely
0: going to add that one to my TBR list absolutely (laughs) and like I want to learn more about Australian authors one more reason to listen to the awesome books and booze podcast everyone
1: And then the other one that I have read lately that I really enjoyed um, was Where the Craw Dads Sing by Julia Owens. Um, and that yeah. was a Reese Witherspoon pick. And I find her picks can be quite hit and miss. I but agree. I listened to this one on audiobook and I adored it. It's set in the South and I love that. And the audiobook is fantastic.
0: I've been seeing that book everywhere. I've been on such an SSR reading spree over the last few weeks. This is my last recording for like two and a half weeks. So I'm about to dive <laughs> into a bunch of really big adult books that I've been out that I've just <laughs> been like so excited to get my hands on. And that might be one of them. I agree. Reese's picks can be hit or miss, but I love a Southern book as well. So maybe I'll check that one out.
1: Yeah, it's, it's really good. I, I have a feeling that you'd really like it because it's very um, character based. And I know that you're a big fan of character based books. You know, I love some good character development.
0: (laughs) I will include links to both of your recommendations as well as We Are Okay in the show notes. I really would encourage listeners to pick up We Are Okay. I think it's an important book. It's a beautifully written book. If nothing else, you're going to appreciate the talent here. It's just a beautiful story. It feels very timeless to me. And I'm going to plug it hard. I think everybody should read this no matter how old they are. So thank you so much, Kiara, for giving me a great reason to pick it up for the
1: show. Well, thank you for having me on the podcast. I was so excited when you asked.
0: (laughs) Absolutely. And I'm going to include a link to your podcast, Books and Booze, in the show notes as well. I would also highly recommend that show to all of the listeners. If you love SSR, you're also going to love Books and Booze. It's super fun and just like awesome book talk between two friends. And I can't get enough of it. So check that out as well. The link to it is in my show notes. And uh, thank you so much, Kiara. This was great. I guess you should probably go see what's happening with your dog right now. Although he seems to have calmed down.
1: Yeah, I think he's asleep now. It's usually his two mates.
0: (laughs) Thank you so much for reading along with me, and thank you for your time. It was really fun chatting with you. My pleasure.
1: It was fantastic. Bye. Bye.
0: Thanks so much for listening to the SSR Podcast.